They're like, why are you not here? Parliament's in session. You're officially the first person I've ever met who could say, I'm getting a text right now saying, why aren't you here? Parliament's in session. I've never been put in such a vulnerable position. I'm pressing hard now just to feel the ignition. My heart. And gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Idea Lemons Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. <laughs> My name is Rajiv Nathan. I am the Idea Lemon co-founder and your show's co-host. Once again, I'm joined by my co-founder and co-host, Martin McGovern. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the show where you get to eavesdrop on the conversations about the journeys, the stories, and the struggles, but most importantly, the questions that help us all better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. In this episode, we sit down with someone who I look up to a great deal and hold a lot of respect for, my cousin, Kavitha Narayan. She is the director of the National Initiative for Allied Health Sciences in India. In short, she creates the healthcare policy for the country of India, and she's working on an initiative right now that will hopefully create 100,000 jobs in the medical field. Crazy audacious goal, right? Well, you don't get to that point without going through a lot, a lot of ups, plenty more downs, and a ton of in-betweens. And that's why in this episode, we talk through the question, how do you persevere? Before we dive in, quick reminder, head to idealemon.com, subscribe to our email newsletter. That's where we release all these podcast episodes, as well as keep you in touch with more stories that help you discover your inner awesome. Let's dive in now with our conversation with Kavitha Narayan. How do you persevere? So, um, so I think by way of introduction, um, what I do today for a career and for a, I guess, for my life's purpose is so very different from what I, you know, envisioned myself doing 20 some years ago. Um, when I was in high school, the only dream I had was to make it to med school and, you know, to be this great doctor and save the world because that's the only way I thought I knew to save the world. And this was in India. So this was not here. You know, I <clears throat> was, uh, grew up there and went to school there. And in India, you really don't, uh, at, at that point in time, you don't have this, you know, you don't have, uh, you don't take an MCAT, you sort of just look at your high school grades, and that's what sort of determines whether you get into med school or not. And after all this effort and all this, you know, supposed studying and just really being confident about just walking through it, I basically didn't get in. And um, that was just like, that was like morning time. I mean, I just felt like, you know, I had died or something. I was like, this is the end of my, you know, life and end of my career. And um, having just sort of kept that dream for the longest time, I really sort of didn't know, you know, how to get around it and, and what the next path was. But I knew one thing. I knew that, you know, somehow or the other, I knew that there was this, this bigger passion and this bigger purpose that, that I had to um, sort of fulfill. And I also knew that I'd somehow find my way around it and, you know, get there. It was somewhere inside. I, I don't know that it was explicit, but somewhere inside I said, well, I think we're going to figure it out. I did a whole bunch of different things. You know, I went and, you know, got myself um, a, a, BS, a BSc degree in, um, in biology because I said, well, maybe that's the path. You know, maybe it's not medicine, but maybe I'm just going to go do that. In the meanwhile, I said, well, in the quest of finding myself, I'm really good at communicating. You know, I reach out to people. I think I should go get a master's degree in, in, in communications. So I went out and pursued that. I was on this, you know, degree seeking, um, you know, sort of this validation for sort of who I am, if you will, and sort of went and did that. That was the one at Chapel Hill, right? No, that was oh. the one all in Bombay. This was all in, in, in Mumbai, in, in Bombay University. And, uh, you know, I kept sort of going and, you know, really acing all of those. I also had a quasi-political career. You know, I was like the student union president when I was in in um, in, uh, in, in undergrad and um, sort of had, you know, the, my, my brush with leadership and not brush, but rather, I, you know, it was sort of it really validated a lot of leadership skills for me. And so I said, OK, that's just great. I think I should go get a master's in communication. And then somebody said, well, you know, maybe you should look at sociology because you really like, you know, people and you want to understand people. So I sort of went about just, you know, randomly going about amassing these, these, these certificates and these degrees, trying to, you know, in my quest for how do I still find my purpose, which really was for 18 some years on really being a, a doctor or being in, in the healthcare space. <clears throat> 
I had then applied at that point. I had, you know, sort of dated a guy that didn't work out. And then I had sort of met the guy that is now my husband for 15 years. And my, I think my biggest sort of supporter and promoter and, and uh, you know, really my, my best friend and mentor. But he at that point said, well, you know what? I'm going to the United States to get my MBA. And I suggest maybe, you, you know, you should look at a master's program there. So I was like, okay, I mean, I've done all of these different things. And I had applied for my communications master's at Northwestern in Chicago, at, you know, a bunch of different places. I'd even gotten a couple of admits. And so I was all ready, you know, to sort of figure out, okay, this is the new life, you know, in, in the United States that's going to help me become this communications professional. Nothing to do with my, you know, what I really wanted to do, but it was like, well, that's your idea to success. Randomly, a friend of a friend of a friend called me to ask me about something, you know, that they wanted in India and said they were pursuing a health policy and administration program in you know at, at Ohio State actually and I was like well what's that sounds pretty cool you know but what what does that what does that you know really mean and she went ahead and told me well you know I actually make you know we get to make changes in the health system we get to lead hospitals we get to really sort of make a dent and you know affect people in a very positive way not as a doctor but in a in a different sense and something just clicked in my brain and I said you know this is what I think I need to do it was just I cannot even explain that aha moment but it was like this seems like my calling. And it was it was a precise moment. It was a Tuesday evening. It was like 8 o'clock on a Tuesday, you know, Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like one of those days that you never forget. And this girl that, you know what, funnily, I have never spoken to after. It's the funniest <laughs> thing. It's like she called to ask me something random. And she told me about her program. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. A wise wizard. You know, just disappeared. It was, it was totally crazy. But she was gone. I never spoke to her after. I, because, you know, at that point in time, we had shell email accounts. You know how shell email accounts even looked like? You know, you just what went in mean? and did, you had these DOS systems. You know? Oh, yeah. So you went in and did, you know, it was sort of like um, going on to, you know, like Star Trek or something. You, you <laughs> felt like you were operating some, some yeah. weird machinery. These computers that were like 20, 20 kilos, you know. And yeah. you just sort of sat there. You waited outside a cafe to get... I mean, internet was like so, uh, you know, sparse, particularly in India, like, you know, that many years ago. So it was weird. So I didn't even know how to get in touch with her. This girl calls and I'm like, okay, great. That's what it is. So I changed my application midway, you know, and then, you know, write to all these schools and go, okay, health policy and administration. Well, then I figure out, small problem. I don't have the money. And because <laughs> I don't belong to the United States, you know, it's going to be hard for me to come here, get a loan. Again, that was, that was hard. My, my father sort of looked at me and said, I think you are nuts. I don't even think you know what you're doing. I don't think I even understand the word of health policy and administration. I think you just need to go out on your own and do whatever the heck you want to do. But you're out of here. Bye-bye. And so <clears throat> I went about, you know, taking a loan. I did all kinds of things, wrote out a scholarship. But I remember that I wrote on this essay, you know, I, when I had to write my college essay, I basically took out a bunch of cutouts from all of the newspapers in India, which was going through a lot of stuff. You know, the health system was in a real sort of mess. And I t put out a whole bunch of cutouts on my, you know, stuck it on a paper and said, this is how messed up this healthcare system is and it needs some leadership. And I think that if I come to your school and you teach me how to do this, I think I can benefit, um, you know, uh, America, but also maybe the Indian healthcare system. And they got me in. And so that to me was really my, you know, to me was a, it, it was, it, to me it really reflected how authenticity, you know, will get you places. I think you, you stay authentic to who you are. You stay authentic to, you know, you don't try to sort of go off of just what everybody else is doing. You know, I, I really put myself out there. I mean, they could have, this was, I sort of sometimes feel like, you know, it was that Legally Blonde essay where, you know, uh, Reese Witherspoon just sort of puts her out, <laughs> puts out her video in the pool. I just, uh, clearly, I didn't look good enough to do that. So I couldn't, I couldn't do that. But, but, you know, this was, you know, a close second in the sense it was like, okay, here you go. Messed up healthcare system. Take me in, take me in. That's all I knew. And they did, you know, and they did. And then they, they gave me a scholarship, which was great. But my, my point really is you don't let... Uh, and I know we will talk about this later, but uh, suffice to fast forward, you know, those those 20 years now or 16, 17 years now. Just wash uh, over the <laughs> um, wash over the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, not wash over. But really, I mean, I think it's important to say that since then, I mean, it was hard. I came in here and I think this is important because Rajiv was, you know, I think, I mean, you, you probably, you know, you, you probably remember some of that. But uh, this was interesting. I went into 
you know, my my aunt and uncle's house, I did not even know how to get water out of the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I was like, what is this stuff? You know, like, what do you do? So then these guys go like, what? You don't know how to get water out of the refrigerator? Like, this is some, you know, crazy person here. I but, still know people who get that wrong. Spray well, <laughs> it everywhere. Well, no, but, but I didn't even know that you could, you could sort of touch this button and that water will actually emerge. I just thought that was like rocket science. I was like, wow, this is so cool. And that was like 15 years ago. 2000 is actually when yeah. I came here. So a lot has happened in life since then. Oh, and you were fascinated by the fact we had a backyard. Yes, yes. I said, oh, this is great. Could you go running? So he goes, yeah, you could go running in the backyard like a hamster. You know? so, uh, so that was really funny. But, but a lot happened in life, you know. Uh, a lot of hard work, a lot of persistence, a lot of cultural, um, you know, getting really, um, getting in tune with the culture. And I think one of the most important success formulas that I have learned is that you really adapt, that you really go in non not judging. You know, you don't go in trying to hold on to everything that you know is so true and, you know, so, so real. But you go on and sort of adapt and you flow. And when you flow, you learn so much. I mean, you know, I can, when I'm back home in India today and I did move back about six years ago, um, you know, I am a different person. I don't look like this. But that does not mean I'm fake. It doesn't mean that, you know, I'm a diff- you know, it basically I'm being real and authentic to that situation. That situation calls for me to be in a sari. It calls for me to be speaking the local language. I cannot be in a dress, you know, and go about and think I just, you know, arrived from America. It wouldn't work for success in that situation. So I think putting yourself and being flexible and, and adaptable to that situation is a is an absolute must for, for you know, success as you want to define it. But I also think persist, persistence, persistence, persistence to, to your cause. I think you have to sort of have that that vision that says, I'm not going to give up. You know, I, I know that I can I can see there, I can see further. And once you've seen it, I think things just sort of really, I mean, I think destiny happens on the margins. You know, I've heard mm. a, a monk say this, and uh, he's a Tibetan monk who says, destiny is always, you know, happening on the edges. And I think it's true. Destiny sort of starts really evolving and tuning itself to what you want when you know what you want and when you are sort of... Uh, very committed to getting there uh, authentically, you know, not not trying to be somebody else, but really being who you are. And so that's really been the story of my life. I have since then led hospitals. I've closed down a hospital in uh, in Georgia. We closed down a hospital. We, we built a brand new hospital, which is doing beautifully. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's expanded massively. We uh, did a lot of compassionate care for, for the community in, in Atlanta, in North Atlanta. Since then, we, you know, I went down to India, and now I lead a major piece of policy reform, which I'm hoping is going to create hundreds of thousands of jobs in healthcare for the, the youth of the country. So very, very um, fortunate, very thankful, very grateful to be in a, in a position of leadership that I think has, uh, has come. And, and it's really, for me, it's, it's evolved every day, you know, and it just it just sort of the universe seems to put the right people in your in your place that that phone call was one such who is that i mean i don't know like i said i know her name you know her name is nisha i've never spoken to her since 20 minute conversation that woman changed my life but i knew with certainty that i was i was supposed to lead more as a healthcare leader as opposed to actually being a physician and so um thankful that's that's where i am there's a lot to unpack in this <laughs> which is good i think the first thing is the, I think it's the point about, as you said it, uh, was the margins, right? Mm-hmm. Things happen on the margins. And what did, um, Martin, when you moderated that panel with uh, Mohan Birsani from Kellogg, and he said, learn from the edges. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that same idea here where, yeah, you can immerse yourself in something and be so highly focused on it. But a lot of success and being able to overcome certain things comes from what were you pulling in on the side and maybe the things that you initially write off but actually are very important. So in your case, it was, you, you could say, well, yeah, I'm a good talker, but everyone's a good talker. Right. Or you can say, like you did, I'm pretty good at communication. Why don't I see what else I can do in that? And then you start to pull in every aspect of communication that you find you're good at or that you want to learn. And then that starts to evolve into something else. This idea of the edges, I think, is pretty big here. Yeah, it's like it's tying in new things that you've come across back to what you, your original interest was. And so it's like communications, but then you're like, oh, this healthcare piece is coming back in. Right. And I, was, mm-hmm. I used to be so interested in healthcare, and I still am, obviously. So I think a lot of people will like, 
they'll take on something new and be like, well, this is my new life. I have to shut down the old life. Exactly. And like, it sounds like even when you were told that you couldn't be a doctor, you're like, okay, well, there's other things that I can do and that interest isn't dead. Exactly. It's just that one path is gone. Right. So what are the other paths that open up now? Right. And I, I think, um, you know, and, and this is particularly true for, for the, the millennial generation today, you know, and um, uh, by the way, who, by the way, I, I really think are a lot more sorted than, you know, us generation Xers, I think, you know, I think we're the X, I think it's safe to call us the X, uh, but, uh, you know, you don't, and I think, Rachi, we were speaking about it earlier this morning as well, we are all scared of being put in a box. Of, be, of commitment. Actually, we all have commitment phobia. It's like, you know, the, the guys that say, hey, I'm not sure I want to go out with this woman four more times because I might just have to put a ring on her finger. I mean, it's, it's like <laughs> that. It's like, you know, you think you're going to just, you know, have to marry this particular profession, marry this particular role, this particular, you know, this box that I'm going to be in. And then we're worried because honestly, we're all so much more. I mean, I, I really have, I mean, I think there are so few people who are just unidimensional. Every mm-hmm. one of us has so many dimensions. And I really think we are all here on earth and, you know, uh, uh, you know, to, to just to be the best version of who we are, you know, better today than, you know, yesterday. And, and it's not even better. It's just a different version. But you really want to, uh, you know, sort of exhibit all your talents, all your potential. It may not necessarily be in just, you know, one. Yes, of course, you're going to maybe focus on it if, if that's what you want to. But who's to say that five years from now, I couldn't just, you know, say that's it. I think I'm going to be a musician. Who's to say that? I mean... You know, you do have singing talents. I do have, and I've done that, you know, and, I've, and I have, uh, you know, multiple different things that I do as well. And I enjoy doing it. We just recorded an album, by the way, you know, in, um, in India that has, has really, you know, gone, is, is doing very well. And it's, it's a spiritual and a devotional album, but, you know, one that we've, we've mixed with a lot of fusion music. I'm making a documentary on my music teacher who's turning 80. We are, you know, doing, um, we have a huge community service outreach program where we do education and human values for, for youngsters. I lead that program. So we do a bunch of things. That doesn't mean I am a, a you know, hopefully, and I have two little kids, you know, and, and I have, uh, you know, I have a, a family and all of the family obligations. I don't think you really just say, well, this is all I'm going to do. And so all of this, other, because I think what happens is then you limit your experiences. You limit the possibility mm-hmm. of where somebody might come into your life. Uh, I have to say the story of the guy, Charlie Evans, my mentor in healthcare, and the way he came into my life, you know. So talking about coming into the United States, you know, getting my graduate degree and, you know, doing very well. Well, my husband, who I was obviously, you know, we were we were married after my, my first year in grad school, he um, got a job in Atlanta. So I had the option of either coming and looking for a job, moving to Atlanta and getting, for, getting a job, or then staying back in North Carolina like, you know, some of the others were. And I wasn't going to do that. So I was like, okay, great. I'm going to, you know, move to Atlanta. Well... I didn't know a soul in Atlanta. Now we got to sort of start, you know, looking for this whole job thing. And somebody told me, well, hey, there's this, you know, the, the American College of Healthcare Executives. It's like the Kool-Aid that they make you drink, you know, in, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in, um, in college. And so they were like, this is a great, you know, a networking slash professional education society. You must join it. So, of course, we joined it at students. And that's how, you know, I was even, even in Chicago like those 15, 16 years ago. They said, well, they're meeting, you know, their Georgia chapter is meeting. Just go, you know, go to Lenox and, you know, just go have lunch there and you'll meet a few people. How do you know? You know, maybe you'll just be able to connect. I was like, okay, it happened to be my birthday. I remember that because it was my 25th birthday. And there I am. I don't know a soul. I've graduated for about four months now. No job. I'm out there hanging out with my resume and, you know, with my, you know, my well-primmed proper, you know, self (laughs) um, sort of, you know, cleaned up version to try to make an impression. And I go in there and, um, you know, this is this pretty ominous looking crowd. There are all these, you know, senior leaders. They're all sitting there, you know, having lunch and, um, you know, sort of everybody's, con- you know, everybody's already in these positions, right? So I'm the one who's sort of there, you know, trying to get this job. <clears throat> I go in there and there's a sweetest looking man who's sitting, you know, at a table, you know, just sort of really sweet. I just, you know, you know, you walk into a room and you sort of try to look for the friendly face in the room and yeah. you don't know anybody. So I go in there going, who looks like the least <laughs> likely to eat me up? Okay, let me just sort of, you know, maybe go there. And then here is this awesome guy. I mean, he's just sitting there, you know, he must be like, I don't know, late 50s, maybe 60s. 
bald, almost fully bald, and just has got this twinkle in his eye, and he just looks like a, you know, happy granddad. And I'm like, okay, here's a nice guy. So I just go there, and I'm sitting there. I have no idea who he is. I sit down, I'm chatting with him, and five minutes later, we've just bonded, and we are, he's showing me pictures of his grandkids, I'm showing him pictures of my new husband, you know, we are, <laughs> you know, exchanging notes, and, you know, he's Look like, okay, okay, you know, <laughs> so it was just, you know, I just love the guy, and then we're chatting. And then 30 minutes later, you know, there's a speaker, you know, they've spoken, etc. An hour later, we've just bonded like as though we knew each other, you know, from some, I don't know how many lifetimes. And so when he's getting ready to, you know, sort of, he has to, he had to leave a little early. So he says, you know, I'm really going to take off. All I know is his name is Charlie. And all he knows is, you know, my name is Kavita. And I'm like, oh, Charlie, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm, I'm like charlieing him, you know, backslapping him by the end of the one hour. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then somewhere during the conversation, I tell him, hey, you know, I really am looking for a job in, in Atlanta. And I have heard HCA, HCA is the Hospital Corporation of America. It's one of the, you know, largest um, um, hospital chains in, in, in America, actually, probably around the world. Very reputed. I said, you know, I'm really looking for a job with HCA. And I don't know if you know someone in there, but I'd greatly appreciate you. Know, if you if you happen to know somebody, let me know. So he looks at me and says, "No, I I think I might know somebody there. Um, you know, I think I can get your you know CV to HR. Why don't I give you my card? You know, write to me, and you know I'll get it to you." And he says, "Oh, by the way, Kavita, it was such a pleasure meeting you. I got to run." Gives me his card, and then he walks off. I haven't even seen the card. I've just kept it there, you know. And then somebody else comes in, takes his spot, and says, "What a guy he is! You know, what a great speaker he was last month." I'm like, who, that guy? <laughs> they go, yeah, that guy. And then I look at his card. He only happens to be controlling a $1.8 billion division for the Hospital Corporation <laughs> of America. And I just asked him if he knew someone there. And he said, yeah, I th he thought he might I know somebody. So. I think so. But he's the nicest guy who changed my life. Three weeks from then, I started working for him directly. You know, I wrote to him through a series of, again, talk about cultural goffs. I wrote to um, one of now my one of my closest friends and mentors, um, the HR, um, you know, the, the head of the vice president for human resources. Well, he wrote, he told me, he emailed me, you know, here I was charling him. The moment I saw his card, I went back and said, hello, Mr. Evans. It was such a pleasure to meet you, you know, and, you know, because you get back into the box. Yeah. Right? You're like, yeah. oh, my gosh, this is I never. No, I mean, it's I didn't not even a relationship think, now. Yeah, it's a, you know, yeah. and I didn't even I didn't think he would even remember me or, you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. He said, of course, remember you, Kavita. Yeah, we had lunch. It was so nice meeting you. He says, why don't you please write to my, you know, HR vice president and she'll, you know, and, uh, you know, write to Sissy Stevenson. He didn't tell me if Sissy was a he or a she. But wouldn't you presume that for somebody with some qualifications, you would know that Sissy is a she and not yeah. a he? <laughs> well, I wrote to her oh, and said, man. hello, Mr. Stevenson. Okay, this is, I don't know what I was thinking, but I said, hello, Mr. Stevenson. You know, here is me, blah, blah, blah. Here is my CV. And, you know, I met Charlie, Mr. Evans, and I'm here to see you. I show up at the office, you know, for the interview. And here is this gorgeous woman walking out and going, hi, I'm Sissy. And I wanted to die. And I was like, that's the end of this job. I'm never getting a job. You know, this is just the most foolish thing ever. Never getting a job. Well, of course, I got the job. And, you know, I worked for the company for years. I have, you know, relationships with them that are more like family. I mean, you know, it's like... It's some of those that, that never go away. And Charlie has taught me since then and continues to. In fact, you know, I'm even here now meeting him. Uh, everything I know about not just healthcare, but about leading, about leadership. I mean, he's one of the best servant leaders I have ever known in my life. You know, he leads. When he talks to you, he talks to you like you're the only person in the room. There's nobody else. It is such a, it's, you know, in, in today's day of ADD and, and technology, I think we've forgotten that ability to talk to people like, they're the only ones that exist. Right. We are constantly, you know, you're looking at me and you're thinking, oh gosh, you know, when is this going to end? Or, you know, you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, oh my gosh, that date, you know, I got to respond. Or, oh my gosh, here's that calendar. We are constantly trying to supposedly multitask. Well, right. we're really doing a terrible job of everything we're doing by doing that. This man taught me the, the, the you know, the value of valuing people, how people matter more than anything else. And then once you found your purpose, you know, everything else sort of aligns and comes together. And when you have been a leader, a leader means you take responsibility, you take on the commitments, but you sort of, you know, when you are good to people, they will make you, you know, they'll make you from good to great. But it's really about that. And his philosophy always has been get the good people, you know, get really good people and then stay out of their way. And then they'll take you, they'll make you succeed. You know, you don't have to sort of be in the air and keep poking them every few minutes. Just just trust them, trust people and trust trust life and trust the world. 
and you know it'll it will um, it'll get you the, the the best you know that it has to offer and it's it's really proven right to me across multiple continents across you know different cultures across different um, um, you know work environments it's it's proven right I've known him for actually now you know 16 some years and um, he's been a great you know great guy now how did that happen by eating lunch you know random right. random stranger if I hadn't been to the lunch that may never have happened had I been to that lunch and been very you know maybe just sort of never opened up but just sort of sat down and being very you know polite or proper or whatever I may never have possibly gone to know him I may not have left that mark on him like I probably was able to by just being myself so I think it's very critical to be again you know I, I think my biggest message uh, you know today that at least I want to sort of you know give everybody is be authentic find yourself find your true your true you know find who you are get in touch with the true self of yours and don't be afraid to sort of you know show that to the world because people who have fit in have never been the ones that have stuck out and never been the ones that have made the big difference <laughs> they haven't you know you've got to be bold enough to say this is what I want to do and not not arrogantly you know not defiantly but persistently I think that's important yeah, it really sounds like the persistence aspect with the authenticity as well. Yes. If you're being authentic, chances are you're not going to just politely go along with every little thing, right? No. So no. if I, I see a lot of times like, and I used to be someone who was like a yes person to everything. Mm -hmm. So like, I, that's the job. All right, I'll take it. Right. That's the pay. All right, I'll take it. Right. And like, if that's not really being authentic because what what I really should have been saying is like here are the skills that I think would really help the company right not these are the things that that job description says right and so like if you're really being authentic you actually have to also persevere a lot more in order Absolutely. to find the right opportunities right and I think that that's that's really key from what I'm hearing from you because it's like if you're not being authentic you'll just take the first thing right. but if you're being authentic you have to try twice as hard in order to find the right people and the right opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and also it's, I guess, the persistency angle, but it's like the big thing with all of this is that it's always on you, an individual, to make shit happen. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, like you can, you can sit on the sidelines and be an observer of your own life. Right. Or you can be playing quarterback or whatever, you know, whatever sports metaphor works best for this. But, right. <laughs> you know... And I think there's too many people who are sitting on the sidelines waiting for something, you know, yeah. waiting for someone else to make something happen. Right. Instead and of complaining. Like, no, no, this is what yeah. I'm yeah. going after and I'm going to figure it out. And yeah. you're going to hit some low points, obviously. But with kind of with everything that you were saying, it was so this happened unexpectedly, whether good or bad. But yeah. then it wasn't like and then I stopped. Yeah, it was. OK, so then my husband said he wanted to move to Atlanta for his yeah. job. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, I got to go to this conference now. And then you get to the conference. And I mean, how easy is, is it at a conference to sit down and just wait for like the keynote to start talking? Right. Instead of going up and talking to someone. And it's an easier thing for an extrovert to do. I'll say that. Of course. So Martin, I'm yeah. curious to get your viewpoint on the introvert side of things. I guess the feeling going into a situation like that and what you can do. Well, I think your point of finding the friendliest person in the room was interesting. Right. Um, I think I might, I might, I, I've probably done that in the past, like subconsciously mm -hmm. without realizing it. But um, my favorite thing to do is to go in kind of not even really knowing what you're walking into. Mm. So like if I plan ahead and I know who's going to be at the event and like what the speakers are and like what level everyone's at, if I know all those details, then I get overwhelmed and I don't want to talk That's to right. Anyone. That's right. Mm -hmm. But like the fact that you didn't know who he was right. made it easier so much to talk easier. To him, right? Absolutely. And so like if you sat down, you're like, oh my God, this guy's a billionaire. Like, yeah. Or, or yeah. has a billion dollar account. Like that would completely ruin the conversation. And if you'd gotten that card, realized it and been like, well, I can't reach out to him now. Right. That would have completely ruined the, the trajectory of it. Versus the best event I ever went to where I wasn't at all introverted was. Um, the brand smart event for the AMA, where I took a day right, off marketing, not medical. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. marketing. <laughs> right. And so um, I took a day off of work and went and paid for it all myself. And like it was an all day conference. And I got there, and the whole thing was everyone who was there was there for work. Mm -hmm. They were there because they were trying to sell something, or they were trying to get a job, or they had some sort they were of forced to be there by the company. Forced to be right. there by the company. Right. So like I walked up to a table, and all like five people were standing there, and I go. Hey, like, tell me about yourselves. Why are you guys here? 
our company paid for us to be here. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, so you're like, are you gonna like what the thing were you interested in? They're like, we're just gonna talk to each other. Actually, we don't. Yeah, we don't really <laughs> yeah. want to talk to anyone. I'm like, then why are you at this event? Yeah. <laughs> and so what I ended up doing was just like bouncing around, and I wasn't trying to sell anything. I wasn't trying to get a job, and I just walked up to people, and they said, so what brought you here? And I said, oh, I'm just. I took a day off of work and came to this conference. So like, what? Yeah. You you spent three hundred dollars of your own money and a PTO day mm-hmm. to come to a conference, and I was like, <laughs> something wrong. Yeah. I was like, why? What's wrong with that? And they're like, yeah. that's what you're not at like the pool. It's a sunny summer day, and I'm like, it was an interesting topic. Right. And then and then that led to well, this person is different than everyone else in the room mm-hmm. and we ended up getting a free office space for like a year and a half yeah. out of that and like I still I ended up getting my next job because of that conference like the people I met there ended up influencing the next three years four years of my life wow and so like that was a key moment where I was like if you go in without an agenda and mm-hmm. without knowing what your goal is mm-hmm. it sort of makes takes the pressure off of trying to get something right and just allows you to connect with people. Yeah, and, and a lot of that too is so often we go into a situation and it's not I'm not saying you shouldn't have goals, but that idea of like, yeah, I gotta meet these three people. Okay. And that's even how they taught us in college. It's like go to a networking event and you get five business cards. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah. so now they're just business cards, not even people. That's exactly instead of instead of have try and have one quality conversation. It's no right. no get five to ten business cards. Right. And the thing is, like... I also met Nicole at that event. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so one of our best friends now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There you go. And the thing is with that is you can smell desperation from a mile away. Oh, absolutely. Right? You know, it's like, where's my card? You know, here's my card. You know, it's like you're putting yourself out there, you know, and like, you know, want this because you're just going to, you know, be sending these 10 emails, you know, mm-hmm. following up. And actually, it's sad because colleges and schools also teach this, you know, all of the, the professional classes, you know, your networking, uh, uh, you know, the, the seminars that, that come in into school teach you, you know, this is exactly right. You know, there's an outcome that you're sort of follow, following and going five cards, six people, seven emails, four thank you notes, you know, and I'm not saying none of that is important. I'm just saying that's not how you approach it, you know, and there's this, it takes away again this idea of, um, so I want to make two points quickly. One is just, you know, back to my wearing my Hinduism hat here for a second. But, you know, for those who were, you know, if you're familiar with the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita, it's like the, I guess, Hindu equivalent of the Bible, (laughs) you know, it's like the equivalent of the Bible and maybe the Muslim Quran. Um, This is like, you know, God who spoke to this guy Arjun, okay, this warrior king. It's like, I don't know if you all have read Neil Donald Walsh's Conversations with God, but it's kind of yeah. like that, I guess. It's, it's a beautiful book. If you all ever, uh, not a book, it's actually a series. It's called Conversations with God, and it's amazing. You know, it's a great, great insight into just sort of breaking this whole myth about, you know, rather these these shackles of, of religion and religiosity. Really just saying, you know, there's a God who is just universal, and we have a buddy relationship with him as opposed to this he or she is this 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 person, this uber person or, or this thing that, we, you know, we don't have access to. So it's, it's very cool. Anyway, uh, I bring this up because um, I started, you know, reading the Gita during a lot of the sort of the, you know, low points of my life, you know, things like that. And um, <clears throat> one of the things it says is do your work, leave the outcome alone. Don't worry about the outcome. This is so counterintuitive to everything right. we've ever seen and learned. The way we approach everything is if I'm here, I need to get something, right? If I have spent an hour of my time, what's in it for me? What am I getting at the end of this? Mm-hmm. If I'm having, you know, if I went from A to B, what am I getting? If I did this job, how much money am I getting? Who am I meeting? Everything is measured by an outcome. In fact, we are only taught to be, you know, outcome driven. You know, that the success mm-hmm. is measured on the basis of your degrees, your, your salary, your house, your car, your kids. You know, do you have perfect kids? Do you live in the perfect suburbia? They're all, unfortunately, have become the only measures of success. And if we don't break out of that shackle pretty soon, in order to say, what have I contributed? You know, it's almost like Lincoln saying, ask what you can do for your country, not, you know, Kennedy. what 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 can you do for your country? Kennedy, no. I'm saying. Not Kennedy, Lincoln. I'm sorry. Okay, sorry. <laughs> you didn't this grow is, up here. It's okay. I, I'm sorry. Oh, I, f- I feel like Hillary Clinton right now. <laughs> Misquoting presidents. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's just, the, it's just the presidential fever. Forgive me here. But anyway. Uh, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm saying that it's, it's really like that. It's like, why do we worry about just, just serve? Just go in there and be of use. And I, I truly think... Does it mean you don't have to plan? You have to plan. You got to get your, you know, put your best foot forward. But after doing all of that, if something doesn't work out, I think we have to trust that somehow this was not the best thing for us at that point. And there is something better. 
I know it's very, very hard because we think of failure as being, I wanted that, I did my work, and I didn't get it. Yeah. I am the happiest. Today, if I look back at 18 years, I know it probably sounds trite or, you know, even maybe, you know, yeah, sort of a little bit, you know, maybe corny here. But the fact that I did not get into med school is what propelled me to do so much more that today I'm in a, in a position where I can change the system you right. know, in India for and hopefully make it better for thousands of, you know, doctors and hopefully, yeah. you know, so many other students. I would never have come into the position. I would have been a physician. I'm not, I'm not saying by any means that that's bad. I just would have gotten my goal checked it off and said yes you know on to the next and maybe being you know a specialist and whatever and done those things but had I it was such a, a big sort of slap on my face that at that point that said you know and I sort of wrote myself off as this failure you know because mm-hmm, whereas yeah. failure means I want something I work for it I didn't get it and we call it failure but I really think we got to get out of this success and failure mode mm-hmm. and outcome driven mode into continuing to like I said you know uh, do your job and really say, if it is not this, there's something much better and more appropriate for me. Yeah. It may not be appropriate for you. You know, maybe suburbia is not the, not the place I need to live in. Maybe I need to be in downtown, you know. If I'm chasing the suburban home, chances are I'm going to be very unhappy. And that's probably why I didn't, you know, meet that pretty girl and get married to her. You know, whatever that is. But point is, I think there is a reason. And the more we start slowly believing, and it's hard, it's not, a, it's a paradigm shift in the way we think. Because the entire society, you know, all over the world, that's not how you know we operate. We operate based on what we see and sort of the external. I think we really have got to shift our focus to sort of going inward and start to look at what's it about me that's unique and what's my unique contribution. And I think that makes a big difference. That was one point. And going back to your point on the conference, nothing, we could do nothing more for ourselves more than really investing in our personal learning and personal development. I mean, I, 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 this is not a, you know, a marketing promo for what you guys do, but those, you know, this is, I mean, I would rather sort of, you know, buy two, you know, two nice dresses lesser or, you know, not take that vacation. But if I had to spend like, you know, $10,000 on like, you know, some super leadership conference versus, you know, Which I think you have, place. right? Didn't you go to that Sorry. thing in Thailand last year? I did. Yeah. I did. Yes. And like I was telling you, I am happy to say, you know, I'm going to manage my expenses so that I am investing more towards my personal development than towards, let's say, what, you know, you would traditionally call fun or frolic or, you Mm -hmm. know, recreation, because I truly believe that there is something incredible that happens when you learn. I mean, I'm here, for example, you know, just for one day in Chicago, and I come here every March. Rajiv, you know this. This is like my Mecca, you know. March, second week, I'm here, that very second week, because it's Congress. And I am so indebted to this organization because what they've done is they bring leadership. In like three days, you get this power pack experience of all of the leadership across the world and what they're thinking i mean it's incredible you know it's 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 impossible for me to go around the world and try to meet all these people right (laughs) they've just managed to get all the bright bright people together so investing in one such conference has suddenly now i go back going energized you know with like ideas and you know stuff and i come back again and then you network and you know you stay in touch so i think investing in some of those is really uh very important for this generation and for the generation where everybody knows technology, I mean, tell me, you know, the kids are born with, with, you know, tech tools, you know, from the womb. What's going to stand people apart is going to be their ability to connect. Because the ability to connect and communicate and empathize is never going to be out of style. Mm-hmm. I don't care which generation, you know, Y, Z, Z1 or whatever <laughs> you're talking about, it's going to be necessary. And those that don't know how to do that uh, are going to find it hard because everybody is going to be on technology. You know, apps are coming out of people's backside every day. Mm-hmm. So what's so great? You know, find me how you will be. Are going to? I sometimes feel like the Matrix is going to be a real movie. You know, like yeah. how you know we had the little. You know, you had Zion and everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. We're sort of becoming like that. You're going to have a Zion that's left, and we're all going to be fighting to preserve that connection. Humans make terrible batteries, though. Yes. <laughs> just from a scientific perspective. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, but there's. There's a lot of really interesting things in what you're saying and kind of going on, well, first of all, the generations moving forward are all being named for book characters. Right. So there's the really? Katniss generation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And things like Hunger that. Games, yeah. Because uh, they're moving too quickly. Like, every, every like, basically now you're being categorized by what books you read instead of, like, right. your age group. Right. Um, but I really liked what you were saying about uh, kind of this empathy piece that we really need to get down because... The technology changes and like multiplies by so much every year. So like right. if you go to school for a skill, right. by the time you graduate, there's already new technology and new skills. Yeah. So mm-hmm. those things are already outdated right. and you've got to be able to adapt so quickly. So I really think that this ability to ask questions and ask the right questions is, is what's going to be important because um, 
if, if all you're doing is just executing and moving forward mm-hmm. and not taking a step back to ask like why you're doing it, mm-hmm. then you're going to get lost because going to your point about failure, we don't know how to set goals correctly. Mm-hmm. So when we don't reach our goal, we think we fail. Yeah. Right? And so point. it's like, oh, I never became a movie star. It's like, well, why did you want to be that in the first place? Right. 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 And so it's like, we were like, oh, I never got that job with that pay with that amount of pay. All right. Well, when did you set that goal? Who right. set it? Did you actually set it, or was that someone else who set? Who that set goal? it for you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which happens a lot, by the way. Right. Yeah. People setting things for you. And then, like, you know, it, 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 if we don't know, if we don't take the first step of learning how to set realistic goals that are in line with ourselves then of course we're just constantly going to be failing at whatever we're trying to do. Right. Because we've like, and most of the time it's like, I want to be that person. Right. That famous person who I saw on TV once. And if I don't become that famous person, then I've failed. But right. you're, you're, all, you're starting from a place of quote unquote failure because right. you're not setting a goal that's actually real for yourself. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of it too is, so to go back to the detaching from the outcomes of it, right? Mm-hmm. In conjunction with that, to your point, Martin, it's knowing the reason you're going after that in mm-hmm. the first place. Mm-hmm. So, like last week, I was talking to our other cousin, or one of our other cousins, who is a freshman in college, didn't get into this business fraternity she had been working towards. And what's funny is like the, how much your perspective shifts as you get older. Because she was like, I spent the last entire month working on this. And I was like, I didn't like, I was like, in my head, I'm laughing. I'm like, I've been working on something for four years. Yeah. <laughs> and you've been working on something for 18. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. Uh, which, but she was really down and she was like, this is the biggest failure of my life, which again, all relative when you're 18, 19 years old, you've only had so many life experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's like, yeah, I didn't get in this business fraternity. It's the biggest failure of my life. I feel terrible about it, et cetera, et cetera. And over the, you know, we talked for like an hour and what I was kind of able to help her see was like I really don't feel because from everything she was saying I was like so like what was important about this and she talked a little bit about how they're very well connected with alumni in the university and getting jobs and all that stuff but the, the resounding theme that kept coming out was just a connection aspect mm-hmm. more than any accolade aspect mm-hmm. so I was like I feel like you just want like a group that you can be part of right and that's why you're upset is because you haven't necessarily found like your, your niche. place, yeah, yeah, your niche yet. Mm-hmm. And this was an opportunity to find something. And she was like, yeah, maybe you're right. And I was like, have you thought about just building your own thing? And she was like, well, how would I do that? And I was like, okay, it's college, right? What do you need to start a club? And she was like, I think like five people and a faculty advisor. I was like, do you have five friends? Yeah. <laughs> do you have a faculty advisor? Well, what would I start about? And I was like, this exact feeling you have right now. I'm sure there are other students who have been really down about something happening in their college career. What if you just like were group like student group counseling for each other. Create the, we didn't make it into that fraternity club. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like the treehouse. It's like the, we, yeah, we're not in the treehouse treehouse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's true. <laughs> and, all, and it's like, if you, if you detach from the outcome by way of knowing, well, this is what, this is the experience or the emotion I'm trying to get out of this. Then when it hits you, you know, like a ton of bricks, in other cases, this time it won't hit you like a ton of bricks because right. you'll be, because I told her, I was like, I was like, this is one small thing in a long line of failures that are, you know, quote unquote failures that are kind of come up in your life. Mm -hmm. And I told her, I was like, you know, earlier today, I found out I didn't get accepted into this TED talk I applied for. And she was like, oh, that's terrible. I was like, yeah, you know what? I looked at the notification. I was like, okay. And I went back to work. I was like, that sucks. (laughs) Okay, keep going. There will be more. Yeah. There will be more. Yeah. And and it's like, this leads into that having an abundance over scarcity mindset, Mm -hmm. which is also part of this. It has to be this one thing because there's only one pie in the world and everyone can only get their sliver of the pie. Right. right. It's completely And if you miss that sliver, you're going to starve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is, which is, I I have to, uh, you know, because I know we had this conversation. There's one very interesting experience I had in the last six months, which I do think will be very beneficial to people. Because again, I believe that, you know, ultimately, you know, when when you're dying, um, somebody said, you know, you know, when you when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. When you die, hopefully the world is crying, you know, and you're rejoicing, but the world is crying because you left the earth, right? And before you do that, I think, you know, your life is a bunch of experiences. I think when the white light sort of comes close to you, I think, you know, all of those, that it, everything is sort of flashing back, your whole life is sort of in front of you. 
And what do you really remember? You don't remember your bad boss or your, you know, the, the, the you know, whatever else. But you really do remember the happy times, the good memories, the, the experiences, people you served, the people you loved, the people who loved you back. I mean, it's really those. I think that from from all of the, the white light studies that I've done or people that almost died and came back. But I, talking about white light, I have to talk about one of those sort of near white light experiences. <clears throat> so anyway... About six months ago, I went and did this course in um, Ladakh, which is, you know, right next to the Himalayas in India, um, one of the highest mount, you know, highest um, areas, regions in the world. Uh, I went there to do a course called the Vipassana. Vipassana is basically a 10-day meditation course, and there are centers all over the world. It's a, it's a Buddhist meditation technique. It's about 2,500-year-old technique, and it really is about shutting down, going inward, shutting down. It's like a system reboot, you know, you just close down. You have no contact with the outside world. You you are quiet, which means you do not speak for 10 days. You do not make eye contact with any of the others that are going through the process with you because it's a group meditation technique. Uh, you eat very limited, you know, vegetarian food of a very small quantity. And, you know, there's no smoking, no drinking, no sexual contact, no, no nothing. And no cell phones, you know, God forbid, no Facebook, no WhatsApp. There's nothing. You are giving away all your worldly possessions, simple clothes. You know, there's a mat and, you know, there's your a cushion. And there's you. And trust me, there is nothing harder than hanging out by yourself with yourself for 10 days. This is the hardest thing I ever did in my entire life. I mean, it was so hard. It was the most you know, amazing experience of my life. It changed who I am as a person. I would not have been having this conversation with you guys like I have been maybe even a year ago without checking my phone in between or without, you know, sort of going, oh my gosh, you know, there's this happening and the world is burning and, you know, something's happening and they need me. Because I think we sort of somehow, uh, you know, we like to sort of, you know, be the people who, at least my personality was such that I would be like the chaos queen, right? You create the chaos and you go and save the day and then you feel great, you know, and then you say, wow, look mm -hmm. at me, I'm the hero because we all want to be the hero, right? So there's all this chaos and then you go say, oh, don't worry, I got it, I'm in control now. And then you do it and you say, wow, look at me. I'm the hero, right? And this is what we do. Unfortunately, I think we create subconsciously a lot of the drama because when you go in and then take care of the drama, you feel good. And this is sort of an ego, you know, boost mechanism that we do. And I really learned to cut that drama from my life post as Vipassana. I mean, and really learned to sort of be present, you know, be aware and, and be in that moment as opposed to thinking about what happened and thinking about what's going to happen, which is how we live our life. I mean, think about it, right? We forget that present moment. Anyway, so it was this great 10-day experience. You know, I'm crying. I went through a lot of crack internally that you just sort of you know eject at the end of those 10 days uh, and you're really with yourself I mean think about it I mean I'm like going through the demons come out you know uh, a lot of great feelings come out but you you really sort of feel like wow you know this is great I have sort of really learned who I am about and you of course learn to meditate in the process you learn to go inward 10 days later I'm out you know happy as a clam I'm out there there um, you know I get to the airport because I got to get to New Delhi which is where I live I get to the airport. I had a connecting flight from Ladakh, which is the Leh airport, to Jammu, which is a place in, you know, which is in northern Jammu and Kashmir, which is the, the major, you know, sort of the, the, the disputed territory in the northern part of India, which is because it borders Pakistan. Well, I go there. Uh, I have a flight to Jammu and then I have a flight to Delhi. And my flight to Jammu says, well, I think my flight ticket's at 2.30 in the afternoon. I show up at the airport at like 12 o'clock, you know, two, or two and a half hours before, and I'm super happy going, yay, I'm making it, you know. Went there, going home, you know, seeing my kids after 11, 12 days. The guy says, what flight are you trying to get on? I'm like, well, the flight to Delhi, you know, flight to Jammu and then Delhi. He goes, there is no flight here. Every flight's taken off in the morning. There is no flight for the next three days. I clearly misread the, the instruction which said that my flight was in the morning at 6.30. I missed, that was a connecting flight. So no flight for three days, what am I going to do? You know, I can either stay back in the mountains for another three days or find some way to get home. And so I, of course, proceed to go to a travel agent and say, get me on a car or get me on a taxi. I'm going to drive all the way to Srinagar, which is another place, and then take a plane from there, you know, to Delhi. He goes, okay, great. We'll put you on one. He says, well, the guy's just shown up from Srinagar, you know, in a car. He's like a driver. Would you mind going with him? You know, and he'll get you there in about maybe 10, 12 hours. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. We can do it. You know, I'll, I'll go. So I've jumped in, you know, and right around that time, there's another woman, young woman who was in the Vipassana with me, who I didn't know very well. She said, do you mind if I come along? I'm like, absolutely, come along. She comes along. She jumps along. So she and me are in the car. A little bit, you know, we, we are on these, on this really horrible road, you know, which is up in the mountains. And 30 minutes later, this guy 
turns around. He, well, actually, not even 30. A few minutes later, another guy joins him. And he says, you know, I, I got this co-driver because I have this really long, you know, journey. So if you don't mind, we have one more guy driving us. I'm like, yeah, of course. And he says his name was Bobby. And the other guy was Sonny. And we we're like, okay, Bobby and Sonny, fine. You know, and we keep going. And of course, I proceed to chat with him and I get chatty and I tell him, you know, I do some work, you know, with the, with the government and, you know, I'm, I'm this, you know, this, this health person, policy person, blah, blah, blah. Well, a little later, he stops me and says, do you know who's a jihadi? So uh, I go, yeah, I think I know who a jihadi is. Well, he turns around and says, guess who I am and guess who this guy is. And that was just like, oh, wow okay then you know so here is two self self uh, you know announced self-appointed announced anointed jihadis who turn around and say well that's what you have in the car with you what do you think you're ready to go now and we are on the top of a ten thousand. you know we are on top of the mountain where my only other option is to jump right down you know and kill myself <laughs> or go along and kill myself i mean i had multiple <laughs> ways to kill myself i just could choose as to which one i wanted you know it was all good I'm you like, have options to go to the white light. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I told you I understand this white light pretty well because I saw, kept seeing the white light, you know, like for like a long part of the drive. I'm like, holy God. So here I am texting my husband from whatever little network I have saying, uh-oh, looks oh. like, you know, we might be in, you know, I'm, first I text him the car number and everything and say, you know, I'm coming. And then later on I say, seems like this may be, you know, slightly different drivers here than your usual. So my husband's obviously, you know, panicking there in the meanwhile. Well, anyways, as we're going forward, in the meanwhile, this girl who's sitting with us starts, you know, behaving really abnormally, screaming, you know, blah, 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 you know, speaking in different voices. Turns out she was undergoing some really massive bipolar or schizophrenic depression. And so here is a depressed schizophrenic person, two people who are ready to kill and kill themselves. I mean, it's out of a movie. I'm not kidding you. I'm going to write this script for this one because this might be my million dollar ticket, you know. <laughs> and we make this 15 hour journey, okay, all through the night. Suffice to say that those 15 hours changed me forever. I mean, the Vipassana changed me a lot, mm -hmm. but I think- the But in case that Vipassana, wasn't enough. <laughs> just in case that wasn't enough. Those 15, 18 hours through the mountains, you know, when every moment, I don't know if the just the crazy road's gonna kill me or these guys are gonna lose it or, you know, this, this lady's behavior is gonna aggravate them because it was aggravating them a lot. You know, she was just so crazy. They were, they were like, why is she with you? They were like, we decided to take you along, you know, get her mm -hmm. off the car. And I'm like, no, 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 I can't get her off the car. It was, it really taught me so much about sort of saying, you know what, it all happened for a reason. I still don't know why. You know, if you ask me, well, why did that happen? There are enough of my friends who have sort of challenged me and said, that was the stupidest thing you ever did, you know, get in on that car and then take another woman you didn't know along. And when you knew they were those guys, you should have just jumped out of the car. Well, jumped out to where? You know, how would I get back? What would I do? I basically decided to go along. What did happen though, in the meanwhile was for the next two or three hours, you know, as part of that journey, these guys, I don't know what their intent was. I don't know if they wanted to kill me or, you know, do whatever they wanted to do. I'll tell you that they recounted stories of why they became a certain way, of what sort of prompted them to, you know, sort of feel this fervor towards their, you know, land and whatever, and the kind of experiences they've gone through, the killings they've seen. And they recounted a side of, you know, them that none of us would ever, you know, sort of understand or empathize or sympathize with because we've seen them under a lens. You know, we've seen them as, ah, you horrible guys. These guys hadn't killed anybody, I don't think. You know, they were probably just like somebody said, you know, they may just have been like second assistants or something. I don't know what they like were, the but they were, you know, they maybe, maybe whatever. But they were, you know, they were nice, they were polite, they were never, not once did I feel like they would harm my, you know, sense of, uh, you know, that they would come, you know, sort of manhandle or, you know, be, be, you know, sort of mean or, you know, just be inappropriate. They were extremely nice. They stopped and got us, you know, they cooked their own food because that's what they apparently they do. But they stopped and got us both dinner at some crazy outfit that looked like all of them were, you know, going to blow us up. But they got us dinner. They, we stopped at a place because there was a landslide and we were in there for four hours with these guys cooped up in this one, you know, uh, some sort of a minivan kind of thing. I mean, yes, I was probably just like sweating, you know, going, what the heck have I put myself into? But these guys for their, you know, to their uh, credit, were extremely well behaved. They slept, you know, for four hours. They got up and then they got us, you know, all the way through. They dropped this girl off to her destination in Srinagar, which is where she wanted to be dropped off, got me all the way through and took me to the airport and dropped me safely. And then gave me and, you know, said, here are our coordinates. 
Let us know if there's anything we can ever do to help you. What does that, what does it make me feel? I mean, am I supposed to really now just hate the whole lot, you know? Sort of interesting, isn't it? Because surely my experience before that would have been, gosh, you know, all of them, God knows, you know what they are, they're just crazy. It just, it just was like a whole new light in which I saw humanity. You know, you just go, wow, there are all kinds of people. What you expect that you will get in a situation could be very different from what you actually get from it. And those 18 hours were sort of, in my mind, amazing just because I was like, wow, you know, it's like stunning. I mean, of course, there was a lot of nuances and a lot of, you know, comical piece as part of that. Like I said, that would really be worth making a movie. But I think the learning from at the end of it is we judge. You know, we as people judge. We judge everybody. We judge everything. You know, and we judge ourselves. actions mm -hmm. and ourselves, you know, and say, I would never. Well, never say never. Yeah. I would never have done it. And so many of my friends said, I would never. I would just waited three days. Maybe you would have. I was willing to just, you know, gain the, get the experience. Maybe you wouldn't have. Maybe, you know, you were more risk averse. I just said, well, I'll give him a chance. I just trust. You know, my starting point with you is I trust you. I can't start with the position of he's out to screw me. My starting point is I trust you. If I'm going to get screwed in the end or, you know, you're going to end up doing something mean, you know what? Sorry, but you're not going to end up feeling too good at the end of it in any case. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I may be on my own path. But the one that says, you know, I just took that guy for a ride and you feel very smart about it. It's actually really sad because you're going to go through your own personal crap for it, you know, on your own journey. And people don't realize that, right? We almost, almost, we feel so great about having outsmarted something or somebody or having gotten the better out of the situation. We never, ever end up screwing somebody and feeling good yourself. You just, you just can't because we're all connected, you know, as, as a humanity. And so it was a very, very different experience for me going through it, feeling like I was dying every minute for 18 hours. And at the end of it, actually, like I was telling Rajiv, I sort of, you know, the end of it was, I said, wow. This was the biggest ego lesson for me because I was away for 12 days. I could almost have been killed. You know what? I went home. Of course, my kids were super thrilled to see me. But me, the control freak who had to control every schedule, everything, you know, their lives were fine and dandy. Everybody was fine. You know, the world is okay with or without you. And it sort of gives you this perspective of, you know, you do your best. You do, you know, do your contribution. But don't take yourself too seriously because... Guess what? Everybody will be okay with or without you. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a big lesson in, in, I think, ego control that really could, you know, do us a, a lot of favors. And then with this, you know, the fear of death, I really thought a lot about, I'm going to die, God, you know, what's going to happen here? I could fall off the cliff, I could be killed, I could be shot, I could be raped. I mean, there were all these options, you know, I could sort of play with. Nothing happened, but those, the thought kept going and I said, well, what's the worst that could happen? You know, okay, maybe we'll just fall down and die. Chances are, you know, life still continues and moves on. And so this, this, this fear of death, which holds a lot of us back, right? And a lot of things that we do or don't do is because we are scared of, oh gosh, I, I don't want to be killed. I don't want to die. When you've transcended that, I'm not suggesting for a minute that you go jump off the Sears mm -hmm. Towers, but I'm just saying that you just sort of feel more open about putting yourself in experiences that you normally might not because we are so scared, you know, and so nervous. And then therefore you experience life in, in all its glory, you know, and do a lot of things that you normally might not do. And so at the end of the day, again, when the white light is truly coming to you, I think you sort of say, wow, it's a life well lived. You know, I did a lot of things and I had some good experiences. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of my take from the jihadi story. Yeah. Amazing. All right. We need to wrap up. Yep. Um, before we, I actually think we should do a part two and just do it via Skype. Okay. Because I think there's a whole lot more to, <laughs> to go into with this. Happy to. <laughs> um, okay. So before we wrap up, uh, let our listeners know what you're working on today. I mean, Today, in air quotes, sure. uh, in this current lifetime, <laughs> these days, I should say. I also have an adaptation to the question. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, what are you working on today, and where can they find you? Sure. So I'm um, actually leading an initiative with the with the Ministry of Health in India. So I, I work with the government of India now, as in I'm I'm advising and sort of directing uh, a, a body of work uh, called um, the National Initiative for Allied Health Sciences, and so. You can either go to, um, you can either write to me at um, ahps, ahps for India at gmail.com, or if you, even if you just did Allied Health in India, I think all our websites would come up. Uh, our website is niahs.org, or my name is Kavita Narayan, K A V I T A N A R A Y A N, and I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, I'm on the whole, you know, whatever. So you can find me through whatever you want. Cool. All right. So your adaptation of the question, Mark. I think it should be how do you persevere? Ah, okay. So it seems to be the crux of everything that we've been talking about. Sure. All right. Well, then we'll start with you. Your answer, based on everything we've listened to and, and spoken ourselves, how do you persevere? 
I think it's by kind of that last story that you told um, really puts into this per, into perspective how little we know about mm-hmm. both ourselves, other people, the goals that we're setting. It's the reason, the fact that we don't know is the reason that we set bad goals, which is the reason right. that we fail. Right. Right. And so I think knowing the, the old phrase, right? Like, I know that I know nothing or whatever. Mm-hmm. The only thing I know for sure is that I don't know everything. Um, but seeking understanding and asking questions instead of trying to front and pretend to be an expert, mm-hmm. I think is the way that you can persevere through anything. So like this goes back to all the things that we've touched on today where you know you go to that event. If you mm-hmm. if you were trying to be an expert at that event, you would have mm-hmm. researched everyone, known who that guy was, and totally locked yourself in a mental box. Right. But if you go in with an open mind and an understanding, I feel like everything is less scary, everything is easier to adapt to, and everything is easier to uh, kind of flow with almost right. and right. and find opportunities instead of make opportunities like you are kind of making them because you're putting yourself in a situation right. to receive an opportunity but you're not forcing these things to happen right right no i completely agree with you and i think my take is very similar i'm, I'm watching your uh, your mac here uh rajiv and it says go with the flow and mm-hmm. you know i think that's uh you know um, I, I i think that's 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 it there you know you go with the flow and again it doesn't mean i think the moment we say go with the flow people think oh there's somebody that just you know wants to be Some lazy hippie, and yeah. just you know take the the hippie you know wants to take the easy way out that's not the point the point is i think we are all creators you know when we say this idea of god i've just got a whole new idea of the meaning of god you know before you sort of think god sort of in that church or in that bible or you know in that you know whatever like if you're a if you're a polytheistic you know sort of religion like hinduism we sort of go running from temple to you know whatever and say god's just going to come out there and just mm-hmm. you know show me his vision and just you know take me no, he or she is you and me. I mean, there's that same energy in all of us. And so we are just as powerful as that God we pray to because we are creators. We create. You know, he, this is a creation. We've just created this beautiful conversation. You know, we've, we are creating at all points. And I think our ability to create is something that we're actually scared of, which is really why we like to sort of be in that box. You know, we like to sort of just go with what's, what's structured, you know, what's already taught to us. Because coming out of it means you are now such a powerful being we're actually scared of our own power. And that sort of, you know, stops us from from doing some of these these things. So I think going back to your answer on, on how do you persist or how do you persevere, I think the moment you know you're creating, you know, what's not to persist. I mean you will you will you will keep persisting. I mean I really believe you know you are you're just you know, if it's not this, it's something else. Let's say I did not come here. You know, for some reason, if I got stuck and I didn't make it here, there was some reason. Today, I stood out, you know, in the rain for 17, 18 minutes in the morning. Sorry you know, No, no, no. You don't have to be sorry. But you know what? I met the most amazing lady. This is, the, this is what I'm saying. I met this amazing woman in Starbucks. And I met this amazing cab driver with who, you know, we, cha- we exchanged like life stories in like five minutes. And there was something that he said that, you know, I was like, I was like, he said, you know what? He said, maybe you have been waiting because we had this exchange and maybe you just needed to come in my cab. And I was like, wow, how cool is that? So, you know, there is a reason for everything. The Uber guy was, you know, was not the guy that showed up. But there was this 7-Eleven lady that, you know, that I learned a lot from. And there was this cab guy that I met. You know, those transactions were just supposed to occur. So I think you persist. If I just said, oh, that's it. You know, the Uber's not here, blah, blah, blah. You know, there are ways you can react to every situation. Every adversity, you react. It's your reaction that then ends up giving you the next best outcome, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to. So I think perseverance really means you stop reacting and just sort of be in that moment. And, you know, sort of know with the knowing, like you said, right, that the right right thing will come. But for that, I think you were talking about sort of waiting, you know, and, and sort of seeking the answer. I'm going to sort of take a little different take on it and say go inward for the answers. Stop. Instead of doing more and thinking more and Googling, just stop. And, you know, maybe when you stop and just stop your thoughts, actually the answers come out. And this, we realize how much there is within us. And the intuitive answers start arriving. You just know to go make that phone call. Or you know to get into that cab. Or you know to pick that girl versus another to go on the date. Whatever that is. But point is, I think we completely misunderestimate and, you know, uh, we misread our own intuitive powers. And there's a lot within us that, that I think we must. That's the next frontier. The next frontier is consciousness. It's not technology. It's consciousness. And that's going to be the next big evolution that... I think we need to be in the front of. My answer for this, for how do you persevere, it's a, it's, I'm going to phrase it a little bit different way, but it's in the same uh, motif as what you guys are discussing here, is 
You persevere by being properly informed. And I don't mean informed in the sense of you've got to go research everyone who's going to be at this conference and know everything about every person, but informed in the sense of knowing what, like, what do I think about this? Truly, what do I think about this? Not what is someone telling me to think about this? Mm -hmm. And how do I perceive what other people are doing about this? Mm -hmm. So just to take the Uber story from this morning, right? So I was like, hey, I've ordered an Uber for you. Mm -hmm. It's going to be here in six minutes. Just wait on this corner. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go into yoga now, mm -hmm. right? So I go into yoga. I come out of yoga an hour and change later. I've got two voicemails from the Uber driver being like, where are you? I'm waiting outside. I don't see anyone. And I'm like, oh, crap. I gave him 1,000 South Morgan instead of 100 South Morgan. And for a second, I was like, I mean, I felt bad because I, you know, I, that guy didn't make the money he should have, I guess. Yeah. I mean, he still got my cancellation fee on it so mm -hmm. it's fine but properly informed in the sense of i wasn't like oh shit i left cubby out to dry i mean it was yeah. raining so you would have been out to wet <laughs> but <laughs> but i was like i'm pretty sure she knows that this was probably a, a some mix-up in yeah. getting here and she yeah. can figure out her own way yeah. i wasn't like like i didn't even think to text you be like hey did you get to the conference because i was pretty sure yeah if the next thing i saw from you was can you get me your address so i can come meet you guys later it was yeah, she probably made it to the conference okay. Yeah. So it's like it's informed in the sense of having trust in other people. Exactly. And trust in, this, in the universe. And, that, yeah. That the and, right things and will and happen. And trust in yourself. You know? And I'll, I'll end with that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wonderful conversation. Thank you. We're, we're slightly us. over time, so you're going to have to rush to your next thing. Well, but you're works. okay with that now. Yes. I'm <laughs> that's, the, that's the new me. So that works. <laughs> well, right. Thank you. I enjoyed chatting with you. This is great. That completed our conversation with Kavitha Narayan. Kavitha, thank you so much for joining us and stopping by for a conversation during your brief annual visit to the U.S. Looking forward to your next annual visit to the U.S. You, the listener, did you like this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show, and thus more people get to discover their inner awesome. While you're doing stuff for us, you can check out idealemon.com for all the show notes and contact information for Kavitha. Season 4's theme song comes to you from the singer-songwriter Tia Einerson. It is called My Bones, available on iTunes and Spotify. It's off of her EP entitled Over Here. That's over here as in I'm overhearing this conversation, just like you overhear the conversations that we have with our guests on this show. That'll do it for this one. Thank you again to Kavitha Narayan for joining us. For Martin McGovern, I am Rajiv Nathan. You've been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We'll see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. <laughs>